Vision Edge gives you less eye strain and reduced damage caused by blue light. We like to call Vision Edge sunscreen for the eye. It all starts with your highest level of visual performance, only achievable through scientifically proven Vision Edge. Hello and welcome to the Open Your Eyes podcast. I'm Dr. Kerry Geld, the host of the documentary, Open Your Eyes. Please visit the film's website at openyoureyes2020.com, featuring interviews with more than 50 optometrists from around the country sharing information on eye care and eye disease. If you're new here and you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell to get notifications of great new interviews. Also, please leave comments. Americans love sports. Studies show about 20% of the U.S. population engage in sports and about 21 million kids between the ages of 6 and 17 play a team sport. Some parents spend up to 20% of their income on sports lessons, teams, and specialized training. The average competitive high school and college athlete practice their sport with drills and techniques up to 12 hours a week, and some as high as 24 hours a week. The legendary Cleveland Browns football coach, Blayton Collier said, the eyes lead the body. And studies show that up to 80% of perceptual input in sports comes from the eyes. Vision, just like speed and strength, is a critical component on how well you play any sport. But curiously, vision enhancement is often ignored. Sports vision, the science of helping athletes reach peak levels of performance through the enhancement of visual skills is becoming more and more important in the success of many professional athletes. Today's guest, Connecticut sports vision optometrist, Dr. Jennifer Stewart. Dr. Stewart has worked with athletes from the NHL, the NFL, and the NBA, as well as professional athletes in squash, lacrosse and figure skating. Dr. Stewart is a former division one track and field athlete. Dr. Stewart works with sports vision, uh, sports vision patients at Performance 2020, a specialty optometric practice in Stanford, Connecticut. Thank you, Dr. Stewart for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm, I'm really into sports. I've always been a baseball player. And even as a kid, I remember reading a book and I wish, I think his name was Gerald Raven. And he was probably an old timer, one of the first sports vision optometrists. And I remember practicing every day the techniques in his book. And I went from hitting under 100 to hitting over 300. So I'm really excited to have you. But explain to the, to the people out there exactly what is sports vision uh, from your point of view? So we think of vision as just seeing 2020, and that's kind of our, our go-to metric that if we see 2020, we consider that we will be fine. And sports vision goes beyond what you're seeing. And the way I describe it is it's what you see, it's how your brain processes that, and it's the motor action you take. And we break down every sport into those three key functions, and every sport has a different way of processing, but in every sport, the faster that you can process something and have a better, more efficient, quicker or stronger response, you're gonna be a better athlete. There's been some really interesting studies when it comes to sports vision. There was one at the University of Cincinnati in baseball. Can you explain that? You know, they looked at, at the effect of sports vision training on their team. 
And the great thing is that we're now seeing more research, more and more research come out of the improvement that sports vision training can have on athletes. And similar to strength training can be difficult to quantify that because there's so many additional factors that go into it. But they put athletes through a program and assess their their skills after the program and notice an improvement. Um, we noticed that anecdotally. We, you know, I, I'm not a research-based scientist. I'm an optometrist, so we we do measure our athletes before they start a training program, and we're able to measure their performance over the over their training program to see improvement. So we're. <clears throat> We're measuring factors in our practice, but we're also hearing from athletes how they're improving on the field, on the ice, on the court, and they're seeing the effects of the training. And you know what they'll say to us is, "I'm I'm responding quicker. My eye hand coordination is better. The world looks like it's slowing down around me when I'm in the goal. Um, I feel like I'm anticipating things. I feel like I'm making decisions quicker. And in any sport, if you can do any of those faster." You're going to be more successful. You're not going to be falling behind and all of the other skills that you're working on. Just like you said, your, your batting improved. So these athletes are working so hard on honing other skills, but we're leaving out that visual training component. So they're, they're able to add that to the realm of what they've been doing. And more and more professional sports teams are now using sports vision to help their athletes. My little guy, I have an 11 year old who plays baseball and his coach played in minor leagues for the Giants. And he was telling me that they did a lot of work with sports vision. How many professional teams do you think are actually utilizing sports vision at this time? Although we may not know a total number, but what do you think? I was gonna say probably a lot less than we know of. So they, they like to keep it in their back pocket. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and sports vision training is not a new novel concept. It has been around a long time and you're 100% correct. Baseball has been one of the sports that's embraced it very, a long time ago and very fully. Um, hockey also is a, a sport that has embraced it. So I think it's been around a long time and that there are some teams that were utilizing some sort of sports vision training. The technology explosion over the last five years has really made that accessible to a lot more teams. Um, it's really changed the way that we're assessing and training athletes. So I think that has made it easier for teams to have buy-in because the training tools are, are measurable. And you know, athletes wanna know numbers. We are all number conscious. We all wanna see improvement. We all wanna know that it's working. And I think that before the technology that was available made it difficult for teams to quantify that. And also financially, they want to know if they're investing in something and investing in their players, that they're able to quantify that, especially in the sports world. So over the last few years, there's been a huge growth and a huge explosion in what's available technology-wise. So I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to think there's not a professional team that's not doing some sort of sports vision training. And I'll use a big umbrella term of that. That could look very different for a lot of different athletes, but, and a lot of different teams, but I think they're all starting to now pick up on this is the, this is the edge. You know, we know strength training is important. We know how important nutrition is, recovery, sleep, um, all of the things that go into an athlete. We're well aware psychology. You know, there's a huge network of professionals that work with these athletes and kind of we've been the missing link. And I think it's very exciting now to be part of this and to really see how we can affect athletes of all ages, all sports, all positions, you know, all, all levels. Um, but at the professional level, I have a feeling that most are doing some part of this. 
you know, we're not going to talk a lot about safety today and concussion, but there was a study done that uh, athletes who participated in sports vision, uh, it decreased concussion. Can you talk a little bit about that? And I don't do it. I don't really do concussion work per se in our, in sports, in performance 2020, but there's been a lot of talk about concussion. You know, it, it's a, a very big topic right now. And the athletes that we've worked with have noticed that their peripheral vision has improved and their peripheral awareness, and they're more able to see, you know, kind of next to them, not behind them quite, but what we work with as athletes, with athletes is making them expand from here to here. And we're very, all very central focus. So we work a lot with drills on expanding that peripheral awareness. So they're more aware, not only to be a better athlete, but to be aware of teammates and opponents and possible collision. So, you know, we feel confident that the work we're doing is also helping them be safer out on the field because not only will they be a better performer, but they'll be more aware of their surroundings. Why do you think that athletes in general take vision for granted and don't think about training their vision where they'll, you know, they'll play basketball for hours and hours and like my son will hit for hours and hours, but he doesn't think about maybe training his eyes. Oh, that's a good question. So, <laughs> and that's why I'm here. So it's my one woman crusade to make it very important for everyone listening. So I think the start of it is that we take for granted what we see and that a lot of the athletes I've worked with are not, you know, I'll use the stereotypical air quotes, perfect vision at 2020. And I think a lot of us assume that if an athlete, you know, and speaking of children in this, you know, specifically, if they're not complaining, they're seeing well enough. And to start, I think everyone needs a comprehensive eye exam, you know, starting very young, even if they're not complaining. And I think a lot of us who have athletes as children take it for granted and say, well, they would be complaining if they weren't seeing well. And we had a, a lacrosse goalie, a division one lacrosse goalie female who was playing at a large division one lacrosse school. Um, she came to us for an assessment for performance 2020. And she was seeing 2030 in one eye, which if you if you have ever had an eye exam, that is three lines worse than 2020, which is perfect. And 2050 in her other eye, which is now five lines worse than that. The legal limit for driving in Connecticut is 2040. So she was barely at the legal limit for driving. So this is a division one high performing athlete who had been told she saw well enough as a in general that I did not agree with that, but especially as an athlete. So she was not performing at her full level because she was not seeing well. So we first brought her back, fit her with contact lenses and then reassessed her. But she also took it for granted because she said, I just thought that was the best I could see. And I think we do hundred percent take it for granted that this is how we are. And then we also think, well, how important is it to see well, or I'm seeing well enough. I don't think there's anything I can do to improve that, but you're right. People spend hours doing drills. So she spent years playing lacrosse at a suboptimal visual level. And when she went back to college, her coach emailed me right away and said, whatever you're doing, it's amazing. And I, you know, I said, I, I would love to take credit for a lot of it, but it's mostly getting her seen well. So I think that's the first thing we take for granted is making sure that our children and all of us are seeing the best we can, but we forget that how much of the information goes from our eyes through our brain to our body. So I'm, like I said, like I said, my one woman crusade to, to make everyone aware of the importance of not only our vision, but our cognitive system on our athletic, on our athletic ability.
And you, you alluded to this before, but what's the difference between eyesight and vision? Uh, good, good question. So eyesight, the way I think of it is eyesight is what we see and vision is everything that goes into that. So it's not only what we see, but it's what we're processing and everything we're doing, not only with our eyes, but the decisions we're making with that vision. So I think of eyesight as you know, if you're if you're listening and you've had an eye exam and you sat in that chair and you looked at a chart, to me that's eyesight. It's what you're seeing. But vision is if you're a hockey goalie, it's what you're seeing on the ice. It's being aware of your opponents and your teammates as they're moving around. So there's something called dynamic visual acuity, which is how well you see when you're moving or when an object's moving. So we think about when you have an eye exam, you're sitting in a chair looking at a chart that's black and white on a, on, a, on a wall that's not moving, there is no sport in the world really that I can think of that is that. So something called dynamic visual acuity is how well you see when you're in motion and or an object is in motion, how well you see in your side vision, your depth perception, how well you can judge how far things are from you, your contrast sensitivity, how well you can judge differences in color. So you know, in baseball, as the lighting is changing, how well you can pick up the ball against different lighting. To me, all of that, plus I could go on for an hour about that, but all of that to me determines is vision. It's not just what you see, it's everything else that you're taking in. Is 2020 good enough? Oh, it depends on who you ask. So <laughs> it, yes, to the average person, if you're an athlete, probably not. So there is some great work by a colleague, some colleagues of ours, Dr. Dan Labby and Dr. David Kirshen, who have done a lot of work in the baseball world, you know, up right up your alley. And they've worked for years, probably decades, looking at major league baseball players and not only uh, training them, but assessing and kind of looking at their characteristics. And the average major league baseball player uncorrected, which means wearing no glasses or contact lenses, sees better than 2020, naturally. So when I have an athlete who is in, you know, say I have a high school baseball player who is 2030, which is again, two lines worse than 2020 on the eye chart. So that's how we measure vision. And the parents say, well, he's seeing good enough. Um, I will politely say then if that's, you know, if you don't want them to be corrected because they're not complaining, they're never going to make a, they're never going to make it as a major league baseball player because seeing 2030 is not good enough. And I will talk about how I look at athletes a little bit different, but to me, seeing 20 is 2020 is the bare minimum. So what is, the, just explain to the audience, what does yeah. 2020 mean, 2030 mean? What are those numbers? <laughs> oh, there, I feel like this is the toughest thing to understand. And it's uh, something we explain daily in, in the eye exam. It is the optometry lingo. So we measure everything at 20, at 20 feet. So um, I, if you're looking, I have to think about as I say it, because it's very easy to get backwards, <laughs> even for me. So somebody with perfect vision sees our chart. You know, there's a line at 20 feet. If somebody that's has the top number, 20, the top 20. Top, is yes. 20. So if you are worse than 2020, worse, meaning you are not seeing as well, say you are 2030 or 2040. We've all heard our eye doctor tell us, you know, that's our vision. That means that somebody with perfect vision could stand at 40 feet to see the same line that you would have to see at 20 feet. So it's just our metric to measure vision so that we're consistent. So if you're in my office or you're in your eye doctor's office, 
or you are in whoever's office, it's our consistent measurement of measuring your what we call visual acuity or your visual clarity. So everyone's office is not 20 feet. So we usually make an adjustment um, on the chart size to account for that. So I know it's a confusing metric. <laughs> so you talked about dynamic visual acuity. And, and as we go on later in the podcast, we're gonna talk about techniques that you use to help improve athletes. But dynamic visual acuity or visual acuity in motion, uh, what kind of chart do you use for that to be able to measure somebody's dy dynamic visual acuity? So that's a, it's a tough one. And that's when they're working really on a great way to measure that. Um, there is an older method to do that using a rotator. So if you picture um, like a big, almost like a record player, I think I just dated myself there, but if it's turned on its side, it, it is a, like a disc with letters on it and it will rotate in, in either clockwise or counterclockwise. And the athlete, either while they're still, they might be in their batting stance, they might be moving they're tasked with reading letters of different sizes at different speeds. So obviously the slower it moves, the easier it is. As it gets faster, it gets more difficult to keep tracking that. So um, there's there that's probably one of the, the older technology ways to do it. Um, we're still waiting on some really other great technology to come out to measure. That's one of the hardest things to measure. So um, that's usually one of the ways that's done. Uh, I interviewed... Uh... Todd Dunn, who was a major league baseball player in the 90s. And unfortunately, he had a severe eye injury and he no longer was able to play baseball. But when he was, one of the training techniques they use is they would use uh, like a, a tennis uh, machine where they would, the ball would come flying out 120 miles. He said uh, literally 120 miles an hour. And they would have to be able to s say what letter was on the ball or what, I don't think the color, but certain letters were on the ball. And he said he wasn't able to do it, but there were some guys on the Brewers because he was on the Brewers that were like Jeff Cirillo back then. He was able to be able to see the, the, the numbers and the letters on the ball. And that they use that a lot for training baseball players. Uh, how does that help a baseball player? And again, that goes back to visual acuity too. If they were not 2020, they wouldn't be able to see that to even start. So for baseball, you know, hitting a, a major league fastball has always said that's the hardest thing to do in sports. And again, they have to make very quick decisions based on limited information and make a motor decision based on that. So, you know, if you're thinking about a pitcher as they're releasing that ball, the athlete is having to make a decision based on the pitcher's movement and where they're holding the ball, how they're standing. And as they release that ball, that pitcher is having to make it, or the batter is having to make a decision, a motor decision of what they're going to do. Are they going to swing? Are they going to bunt? Are they going to take it? Where do they think that ball is going to come? And they have very unbelievably short amount of time to do that. So they can't sit there and think, okay. He's, you know, his hands here, I think it's going to be a curveball. So I'm going to do this. Maybe I'll move my body. And, you know, if they're thinking about that, I mean, you know, three pitches have gone by in that moment. So with, you know, that, that target coming towards them, they're having to make a decision as that ball's fired out. They have to have the, their visual cue of the shape. They have to make a, a, a cognitive decision of, okay, I saw a triangle. And then their motor response in that drill is they have to verbally say triangle. 
So again, it, it, all these, these drills and sports can be broken down into those movements and just thinking about what people are doing. And that's a great one for them now to speed up when they go into a game they're primed and their visual system and cognitive system are prepped now to make these quicker decisions because they're so used to doing it based on you know firing these balls at them at a faster speed than they are probably getting a pitch but they're trying to make that decision of what shape they're seeing before it's coming you know if it's, they're seeing it here it's too late so they're trying to do as quick as it's released just like they're trying to make a decision of what that pitch is going to be before it's released because they have to respond way before they're not tracking the balls that's coming towards them. They've already made that decision as it's being released, what they're gonna do. When I was in optometry school, fourth year intern uh, at ICO, we trained the IIT baseball team, which was the, the college across the street. And it was in the winter and we trained them on this, this light, this thing with, with the lights that now they have a professional version of that. Yeah. And this was like when they first, they were first developing it. And at the end, they would have to make a predictive saccade. So if you could explain a predictive saccade, but but the but these kids did really unbelievable. Like we had independent judges. They did this training for like six weeks or eight weeks. And at the end, it, they've improved. They improved so much and their hitting went up once the season started. So if you could talk about that light. Uh, that light row and a predictive saccade. Well, I'm not sure what you guys call that, but it was so really that, interesting. That technology again was around a lot, yes, a while ago, and has re been re-released in a more updated way. So you know, it, it was called—I forget the the formal name—but we call it an anticipation timer. So if you picture kind of a row of lights, and it can be on, let's say, a sawhorse. You know, that's a good way to kind of verbally look at it and an athlete standing on one end and they're watching as the lights are coming towards them. And they have to anticipate and guess when the light is gonna be here. You know, you can measure and say, when you think the light's gonna be here, I want you to click this, you know, in the older technology, you'd use like a clicker. So the athlete would stand in their stance and they'd be watching as the lights come toward them and they click when they think it's gonna reach them. So again, they're having to predict and time when the lights start, they have to make a decision. It's quick, you know, it's like, it's not do, 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 do. It's quick and they have to anticipate and again, make a visual determination of their task, make a, a, a cognitive decision of when they think that light is gonna be where they're supposed to be and a motor decision to click. So they're also making a predictive, what you call the predictive saccade, which a saccade is an eye movement from side to side. So. If I'm looking side to side, quick eye movements, that's a saccade. So they are looking, they're not following those lights. They're not what we call pursuit eye movement. And that's a slow eye movement. They're not slowly watching those lights come towards them. If they're not, they're not gonna be one of your successful ones. So they're watching that light to start, they're making a decision and then they're jumping. Their eyes are jumping quickly to where they are at the end. So they have to be good at knowing where the light starts they have to have good depth perception of knowing how far it is from them and they have to make a decision of okay when the light starts i have to make that that motor decision so they have to have good anticipation and timing so as a baseball player that's a great drill for baseball players because when they're batting they're making a decision an anticipation decision based on the pitcher's release so that is a great drill to to kind of solidify that that they have to watch the pitcher release their ball and they have to make that quick jump 
to, to where it's going to be. So they have to, we call it predictive. So they have to make good predictions based on good information that they, that they start with. At one time, eye dominance was big, you know, your dominant eye. What's the feeling about that now? That's a mix. You know, that's a good question. That is probably depending on who you talk to. There's a lot of questions, especially in baseball. Um, I didn't work as much with baseball. We worked a lot with hockey and lacrosse. So dominance is, is less there, but baseball dominance um, plays a big role in hitting. And there's a lot of research and questions about left eye dominance, right eye dominance. Is there, you know, exactly dominance or, or cross dominance better? So um, I've got some great colleagues who do a ton of baseball work. So I know that they've done a lot of work, again, Dr. Labby and Dr. Kirshen in the baseball realm. So dominance is a, a, an ongoing topic. <laughs> so let's talk about the visual skills needed to improve people in sports. So you could go through some of those. Sure. So as long as the list of sports there is, there's a, that many, um, <laughs> a list of that many skills. So I will not spend two hours talking about all of them, but how, when we work with an athlete and when we work, especially with an, an athlete in a sport new to us, that can be a little bit intimidating. And Performance 2020 is located at a hockey facility. I did not grow up knowing a thing about hockey. Uh, it was probably one of the sports I was least familiar with. So we ended up in this great spot, primarily working with hockey players and lacrosse, another sport I did not grow up with. So when we started working with these athletes and we primarily have built up a following with goalies based on, they have just, I think a very unique set of visual and cognitive skills and they really love the training and they understand it very well. So I had to learn quickly so that I could help them understand how I was training them. So again, I would break down each sport and think about what visual skills are important for each sport and each position, because that's very different too. So when you think about a hockey goalie, it's very different than a baseball player, very different than I worked with a professional figure skater as well. I, again, don't know much about figure skating other than what I see on the Olympics. So um, figure skating was probably the most interesting to me because I had to really put on my thinking cap and be creative. So, um, you know, we looked at figure skating and said, what, what visual skills, you would not think of figure skating as a very visually demanding sport. Um, there are no balls coming at them. It's not, you know, we worked with an individual, so it's not a team sport, but for her, it was balance and coordination and, and awareness of her peripheral awareness focusing and concentration are also very important for athletes of all sports, especially for figure skating. It, it's a long time. It's a short period, but it's also a very visually demanding sport with a lot of concentration. So you know, other sports, she's not you know, working with hand-eye coordination like a lot of other sports, but some of the other skills, hand-eye coordination, I usually say, you know, eye-hand coordination, eye-body, eye-foot, um, you know, we've all heard of eye hand or, or one of those. So in a sport, it's coordination between your eyes and your visual system and your body, whatever that might be. For a soccer goalie, it might be your hands. For a soccer player, it might be your feet. But that coordination and the, the how much time or how much delay there is between those two working together, I think that's a big one. Um, anticipation and decision-making, again, going back to your, your light example, it predicting and predicting what's going to happen. And there is Steph Curry is one of the, the great examples in sports vision. Um, he, 
he is a, a basketball player and there's a couple articles about him and there's some YouTube videos of him doing some sports vision training. But there's a great article about him talking about how he would make decisions before a player, before his opponent knew that they were gonna do something. So he would watch the way that they'd slightly turn their head he was looking at their nose, knowing they were going that way. So he had already anticipated his movements going here. So he was thinking three steps ahead of his opponents. So he really had honed in on his anticipation and decision-making. Um, uh, reaction time, how quickly do you respond to a stimulus? You know, I was a track and field athlete. So, you know, when you're, you, you don't think of track and field as a sport that sports vision's applicable to, but when you're in the starting blocks, the quicker you can respond to that starting gun, I mean, the quicker you're going to be, you know, a response. Um, so um, what else? Depth perception, we had talked about a little bit, judging how far you are from an opponent or a teammate or the ball, you know, if you're overshooting or undershooting that, or if you're a basketball player and you're going to take a shot and you're not judging that distance well, it's all things we know and we understand in sports, but when we think about it, with a visual component, people go, oh, that makes sense. I never thought, I never thought it was my vision. I thought it was my physical skills and, and kind of looking at them together will make every athlete be more successful. Put those together, like somebody who's undershooting a lot, what's wrong with their vision? What can we do to fix it? Someone that's overshooting, somebody playing hockey, give us some, some uh, uh, clues uh, how we can improve their their skills and what you do as an optometrist to help them. Let's start so with for, hockey. Let's start with hockey. So you know, first my you know, if I had an athlete who said um, or a parent or a coach, you know, we get we're part of a great team and network of everyone working with this athlete. So it might be a coach who says to me, you know, this athlete's having this issue, or a parent, or an athletic trainer, or the athlete themselves, depending on their age. They might say, you know, I notice I'm missing, um, I'm missing shots. You know, I'm a hockey goalie and I'm missing, you know, down to my right. And I'm consistent and it's not, you know, everyone's noticing it. First, my recommendation as always is to have a comprehensive eye exam, um, you know, and to make sure that, that you're seeing as well as you should be. Um, I can't stress that importance enough. You know, you can't fix what you can't see. So I always have them start with a comprehensive exam um, I don't do what's called vision training or vision therapy, which is another part of optometry, which works with the binocular system up close. So if I think an athlete is having um, issues with their binocular vision in a close range, I have some great colleagues who practice that part of optometry, which is a whole nother great part. And I'm lucky to have great colleagues who can take on those athletes if I think that's applicable. Um, most of the work we're doing is far away or at a distance because their sports are usually played at a distance. So for an athlete who might be, you know, missing shots down to the right, I wouldn't tell his opponents. So <laughs> we keep it pretty quiet, so, especially with professional athletes. Like their mom is the word on anything they say. Um, you don't want that getting out to their opponents. But um, we'll assess that and really see if we do see that as an issue. And then we'll kind of focus a lot of our drills in making that an area that they use their focus on and that they attend to. So with athletes, say a goalie, we might focus on doing ball drills where we're, you know, throwing, like you said, throwing balls at them, using different colors, using different size balls, but 
really focusing on that area to help them improve that peripheral awareness in that specific area. Macular degeneration is a leading cause of vision loss, with 15% of Americans being at risk or already affected. Scientific evidence proves that by using mesozeaxanthin, lutein, and zeaxanthin together replenishes the macular pigment and promotes healthier vision. This formula comes in only one product, MacuHealth. Thank you for tuning in to the Open Your Eyes podcast. If you like the video you're watching, please hit the like button. Also, hit subscribe for weekly new episodes of the podcast, along with pod winks and bonus content. All right, let's get back to the show. And how about if we go back to Steph Curry? What are some of the eye exercises he does uh, that you saw they, that that have shown on on YouTube? I only know what I see on YouTube. I'm not privy to his uh, insider stuff. I keep looking, but. So he does some some great drills that I've seen. You know, anyone can Google this, and it's fun to see. Um, there's something called Fit Light, which are wireless LED lights that you can mount on the wall, you can put on you know uh, on the floor, you can put them on poles. And there's some great drills of him dribbling a basketball and hitting these lights, and it, it looks. I won't say it looks easy because I don't think it looks easy, but um, he makes it look a lot easier than it is. So he's also, that is showing that he can spread his awareness to do something in addition to the sport he's doing. So anything we can do to make an athlete uncomfortable in a good way, um, anything we can do to stress their cognitive system when they go out and play a sport, it's going to be easier. So we'll use, um, we use sound. So we'll use music or I will talk to somebody to try and distract them. Um, we will ask people, uh, my, one of my trainers was famous for asking state capitals, which I learned really quickly to make sure I knew all the state capitals. <laughs> so, um, so while an athlete was doing one of their training programs, he would just start asking them what the capitals of certain states were. Um, he'd ask them to do complex math programs. So it's called split attention so that they're, they can't focus on one thing. They have to think of something else while they're doing their sport. So when they go out on the field or out on the court, they're able to be focused and they, they know that when they go out there, anything they've done in the training is harder than what they're going to do in their sport. So Steph Curry, the bouncing of the basketball, I think there's one of him dribbling a basketball and catching a tennis ball or bouncing a tennis ball against the wall. And again, it, he makes everything look easy. It is not that easy. So it just shows what attention he, what his physical abilities are and the, the way that he's able to do a complex task, but also his cognitive system that he's able to, to do that and to kind of split his attention to doing two different things. Like, you know, patting our, our head and rubbing our bellies, you know, that's, that's hard in itself. So he's doing something like that with moving, you know, with uh, two moving balls. And how about eye tracking? How important is that? Eye tracking, you know, it depends on the sport, but, um, you know, if you can't track something, there's no way you're going to be able to hit it or stop it. So eye tracking is, is huge. And again, with the technology that's evolving, um, we're now being able to watch what athletes are tracking. And it's very interesting and not always what you think it's supposed to be. Um, the tracking used to be very uh, cumbersome, you know, a lot of, you know, picture, you know, glasses with, you would track where athletes were looking, they'd wear like a battery pack. And, but I, a couple years ago, probably, I think five or six years ago, I went to work with the Miami Dolphins at their training camp. And we were tracking, part of the assessment was tracking the eye movements of the quarterbacks. And it was all of their, um, 
their new quarterbacks. And it was just very interesting. We had all of them line up outside and there were two, um, the two team members, not athletes, but they were standing with their hands behind their backs and the quarterback had their back, his back to them. He would turn and as he was turning, as he would launch the ball, they would put their hands up and they each had a different color glove and he, they would yell red and he would have to quickly, again, visually find the red glove, make a cognitive decision of where that red glove is and connect with the person holding the red glove. So in, you know, in a quarterback, that's not a tough, you know, a tough thing to do. But what we were watching was where they're looking and where their eyes are going. You know, and we all think they're gonna come out and perfectly find that red glove, but you could see some of them come out and they're all over the place. You know, it takes them a split second to find the red glove where others would come and boom, they're right on the red glove. Well, who's more likely to get sacked? The quarterback who makes the quick decision and quickly comes out of the pocket and finds the glove he wants? Or is it the quarterback who is very small difference, but is moving his eyes a little bit? Okay, now I found it. That delay, while it doesn't seem a lot, as we see in the Super Bowl, like that, that, could, that could be the difference between winning or losing a game. And what kind of techniques can be used to improve eye tracking? So that's, it's interesting. There's a whole um, great ton of work done by a woman called Joan Vickers. And she is um, just an unbelievable person in the sports and performance vision and cognitive world. And she has um, something called, she developed something called the quiet eye. I don't know if you're familiar with the quiet eye. So it, it, if you Google it, you're going to get some great videos too. She's, she's a, a pro at talking about this and she's been around doing it for a lot. And she focuses a lot on golf and basketball golf especially. She's been in all the golf magazines or, or the quiet eye has been in all golf magazines talking about fixation and how stable what we call um, the fixation or the eye movements. And that's not even just in tracking, but when you're looking at something, we all assume I'm looking at my zoom camera right now. And I assume my eyes are perfectly still and they're not moving. And we know that's not true that my eyes are making these little movements. So she's done a lot of work with figuring out how to quiet that and how to get people to quiet those eye movements so that they could be more precise in, in their movements, especially in golf when they're about to putt. She's, she's got, I, I could spend forever talking about her. She's just wonderful. So she talked a lot about how to have strategies to do that to quiet your visual system. But in eye movements, in saccades, we do a lot of work with um, charts called heart charts, which are just picture a chart on the wall of letters and numbers. And we work with athletes in making that more complex of moving from one letter to the next or one and skip three, one and skip four, so that they can get used to figuring out where their eye needs to be and getting more precise at moving their eye to that, that target. So it sounds very simple. And it, you, we start simple, just like with strength training. I always say, you know, I don't have my athletes come in and we do a complex program because just like in strength training, I actually just started doing Olympic weightlifting a year ago. So I'm just reaching my first year as an Olympic weightlifter. My first day, I was not doing the Olympic lifts. I had to build to that. And I had to build both my, my physical strength, but also the understanding of the movement. So that's what we work on in sports vision too, is we start with small movements and make them more complex. But with eye, with eye tracking and eye movements, we're really working with athletes to be aware, A, that they can 
work on this and figuring out ways that they can be more precise and, and again, not overshoot or undershoot where they're looking. So what are some of the techniques that Vickers has developed to quiet the eye? There, it's, it's, there, it's a good question. You know, that's a, it's a complex answer to go into. Um, she has some really great ways that she helps people kind of look and visualize where they're looking, especially with golf. If you Google her, um, her golf work, she has some great ways of, of where to look on the ball and where to look and to make sure you're looking when you go to putt so that you're not just saying, I'm going to putt and I'm going to look at the ball because that's what most people do. They say, I'm just gonna look at the ball. So she has it more specific about exactly where to look so that you can kind of fine tune that movement so that you're not, you're looking at a smaller target so that you're not looking at the ball and now your eyes are doing this, but you're looking at a, you know, a little piece of the ball so that your eyes are more precise. So she's got some great videos too. I think it's Alan Alda. She has a video of, I mean, it goes way back. Uh, I think it, there's a video online where she has, I think it's Alan Alda with uh, like that, this head apparatus with, with um, I think it's basketball. So she's tracking his eye movements when he's looking at, at when he's taking a free throw and, you know, eye movements are all over. We all think, you know, everyone's looking right where they're looking, but you can see they're doing this. So if your eyes are moving all over, it goes again, back to the cues you're giving your body. If we're not giving our body the right cues, how can we expect that motor response to be as accurate and precise as we would like it to be? So if somebody's watching and they wanted to do something at home to try to help their tracking, what, what could they do? The heart chart or is there something else they could do uh, get, just to get them started before they see the optometrist for sports vision? That, you know, it, it, I think it's hard to really do that without making sure there's no underlying issues too and making sure that your tracking is proper. So again, you know, having a comprehensive exam to rule out anything underlying and then a binocular vision assessment as well. Um, there's some great drills like if, you know, in the golf magazines, especially with the quiet eye, there's some great drills there. Um, but you know, also, you know, there's just a great network of us out there too. I'm not the only one, thankfully. Um, you know, there's a great network of us who are very passionate about sports and performance vision. Um, I'm a member of the International Sports Vision Association. I'm an advisory board member. And if you go to the website for our organization and you put in your location, you'll find one of us in your backyard. And I think that's the best way to really fine tune it. It's to you know, properly identify the, I, I won't say issue, but any opportunity and then look at ways that you can improve that. And that might not be in office. You know, there are some you know people who are doing, who are very creative at, at doing home programs, but um, you know, I think kind of making sure you're doing the right, the right techniques and the right training for your, your position and your sport are very important. Now, how about depth perception? Can you be a good hockey player, a good basketball player, a baseball player without depth perception? Well, it depends. That's a good question. So it depends on, on, why, if somebody doesn't have good depth perception, you know, first identifying that and measuring that. Um, but again, you know, going back to my example with my um, lacrosse goalie, when you are not, we, we use the term fully corrected in optometry, meaning you're not seeing to your full potential. So if, if somebody like my lacrosse goalie, she wasn't seeing as well as she could. And when your eyes are not seeing the same, it affects your depth perception. So Somebody like her had grown up like that with 
probably not ideal depth perception, but she was able to overcome that based probably based on her physical and cognitive skills. Um, you know, she really excelled even with not having optimal depth perception based on her, her lack of, um, of correction. But I've worked with athletes, we call them monocular or you know, we use vision in one eye. Um, I've worked with athletes who are, we use the term amblyopic, which is a, a conditioning meaning one eye is not correctable you know, because of, of some issue. So I've worked with athletes also in those conditions. They know, I mean, I'm not the one to identify that, but we work on figuring out how to get them to be more successful given, given what they have. So let's talk about testing for sports vision. We got through the eye exam and we know that they don't have any disease. Uh, they may or may not need glasses or, or contacts. We fit them with the contacts. Now they're ready to go into the sports vision exam. What are we testing for? Uh, what are the a few things that you're making sure that you test for that hopefully you could improve to make them a, a, the best athlete they could be? And, and this will differ too, depending on who you see. And the great thing is that's, that's changing and we're becoming more standardized in sports vision with the technology that's available. It's standardizing our assessment and training and it's standardizing what we're all looking for and how we're measuring that, which is really exciting. And I think that's what's um, even the last few years, it took me a while to finally uh, open my sports vision practice. It was a, a dream in progress, so don't ever give up on your dreams. Uh, it was something 10 years in the making and finally just pulled the trigger. But what really was my, what prompted me to do this was the technology that I looked at, at, at some of the technology out there and said, oh my gosh, this is what I've been waiting for. So we use something called the Synaptic Sensory Station, which is a huge screen um, that is, um, both used for assessment and training. And we assess athletes using this technology because it's standardized and we're measuring the same 10 visual skills on every athlete. They're measured at specific distances and there's a set protocol of how to do it. So it's consistent and it's measurable. It's also comparing these athletes to a database of their peers in their sport and position. So if your son came in, I could compare him to all 11 year old baseball players in his position to show them how we compare. So again, athletes like comparison. They want to know how do I do against everybody else. So especially if they don't understand the number they're being compared to, we all know what you know a batting average is, but people don't know what you know. I don't know how you're measuring depth perception. You know, I don't know what that means. So the great thing with our assessment is it gives them an automatic feedback based on there's ten visual and motor skills we're assessing, including visual acuity or visual clarity, how well they see because if they don't do well, we stop right there. <laughs> so um, we're measuring depth perception, we're measuring contrast, how well they see in different uh, lighting conditions and different backgrounds. We're measuring eye-hand coordination, how quickly they react. And I do this because that's what the test is. You have your fingers on a tablet and one of them changes color and you have to quickly react and put your finger back down. So we're, that's, that's measuring their, their motor response to a visual cue. We're measuring their peripheral awareness. If you if you see any of these videos, I feel like everyone's seen, you know, they're, they're touching lights as they appear. So they're, they're, it's measuring their side vision. Um, we're measuring what's called visual um, capture. It's how quickly they can make a movement to the side. And it's like you mentioned, those saccadic eye movements. Um, we're also measuring anticipation and decision-making. 
where they have to respond to certain color lights but not respond to another. So again, they have to make a quick decision and a motor response to that. Do I hit the light or do I not? So there's a few others we're measuring, uh, multiple object tracking, tracking multiple objects in space. So again, that goes similar to dynamic visual acuity. If you're thinking of you know, a hockey player, there, no one's standing still, so they're everyone's in motion. So they're having to track where people are and make decisions of where they're going to end up. So we assess all of those um, in our assessment, and then we reassess every six to twelve sessions to, so that they can see their progress. I would imagine contrast sensitivity is very important in hockey players. Yes, you know, baseball too. You know, baseball is a big one because they have those changing lighting conditions. So you know, it's very different to play a day game versus a night game. <laughs> So explain what contrast sensitivity is and how you what kind of training techniques you do to improve it. So contrast is how well you see a different backgrounds or different lighting. So if you've ever played baseball and you're playing during the day, it's very easy to see that ball uh, in a well-lit environment. But now you know, the clouds come over and it gets a little more cloudy and you're trying to catch the ball against maybe the, the back of the stadium and it's harder to pick up that ball against that, that condition. Or you look up and you're trying to catch a baseball in a cloud and that, that contrast is very different. So when we work with athletes to work on their contrast, we don't necessarily say we're going to work on improving your contrast, but we're gonna make you make again it easier for you to make decisions and make you more aware. So all of the training really helps them to just make, to, to be better at, at figuring out information and use that information to make better decisions. So contrast and depth are, are something we, we include in the training, um, but we don't necessarily say this is a drill for contrast sensitivity, but we will vary the lighting conditions when we're training, we'll vary, the colors of the targets we're using will vary. Are we, you know, against a white background or is a dark background? So just getting athletes better at, at making, picking up objects on different varying light conditions to make them just in, anticipate that better. You talked about balance before. Uh, how does that work with eye exercises for athletes and why is that important? Balance is such a great piece of what we do. And for us, um, you know, in any sport, if you're off balance, I mean, it, it's funny, we think about this, we go, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. I've just never thought it in the visual system. You know, we think about if you're not stable, and if you're not, you know, if you're off balance, and you're moving around, A, you're not going to be successful, but the information you're bringing in is not as stable. Um, balance has been a great way for us to increase the complexity of the training. And, um, we will add that in again, once an athlete has proceeded through kind of a base level training program, we'll add in balance. So now they've got to deal with moving visual cues, both the cue might be moving what we're doing and their body's moving. So now they, they're not sitting in a chair um, looking at what they're needing to do. They have to now incorporate their body movement. And it helps them because when, again, when they go out on the field or in the court or on the ice, they're not sitting still, they're moving. So now they're getting better at using their visual system and their cognitive system and integrating that with their body movement. And they can, we just try and overload what they're doing. And we use the BOSU balls a lot. You know, the ball, if everyone's seen it, it's flat on one side and picture like a blue half dome and if you stand on one side, you know, if you put the blue half part down, you try and balance. I mean, I can't do it. It's very difficult. But if you add that into a skill they've already done, we might be having them 
have one hand behind their back and they're catching a ball and we might be using red and green balls. So we might say catch the, the green balls and let the red balls go. And they get pretty good at making that visual cognitive motor decision. Well, now it's too easy. Now I want you to stand on a BOSU ball and do it. So now they're wobbling around and now they're trying, it's just one more complexity. And when they, you know, when they get that pretty easy, I said, now stand on one foot and do it, you know? And so we just make it more complex because again, they're not standing still. And I want their whole visual system to be integrated with their body movement. When you play, when you're doing so great at any sport, you know, I'll give an example. When David Ortiz was playing in the World Series, uh, when the Red Sox were in the World Series, and I forgot how many years ago, two or three years ago, and he was hitting everything. It looked like he was hitting a beach ball, like he was in the in the zone. Now, what is being in the zone? How do we keep them in the zone, and how do we prevent them from becoming like tunneled, where they? I'd be a gazillionaire if I could figure that out. I would be a gazillionaire. <laughs> <laughs> and that's right there. That is the, the biggest question in sports because, and, and Joan Vickers also talks about that in her work. We have when, when an athlete is not having extraneous visual movements and their eyes are not moving around and they are quiet, their whole body is in alignment and they are able to do what they need to do because everything is queued up. Everything is, is working. Everything is in alignment and it's not as easy. Yeah. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it, but it's really working on all of the skills that an athlete needs to give them the best shot at being not distracted. You know, we are a distracted society. <laughs> so we work a lot on minimizing distraction because if they're paying attention to what's going on over here and over here, there's no way that they can focus on what they need to do. And we actually can't multitask. We cannot do two things at once, even though we think we can. Um, so really kind of working on really quieting everything down and getting them to focus on what they're doing and not worry, not be thinking about the next inning, not think, not be thinking about the next pitch, not be listening to anything that's going on or thinking about anything else, but being in that moment. And, you know, if, if I could make everyone do that, oof. but uh, you know, it, it's a work in progress. And I think all of these skills that any of the athletes we're working with, that's our goal. You know, we want an athlete to go out there and go, Oh my gosh, you know, that hockey puck looked like a basketball, you know, it was moving in slow motion. And was the hockey puck actually a basketball or a beach ball? No. Was it moving any slower? Absolutely not. But their visual and cognitive system were, were so primed and so working at all the potential that everything did seem to slow down around them. So they were able to, again, see what they were doing. Their visual system slowed it down for them and they were able to anticipate and get their body ready for whatever it was and make that decision. And it seemed like it was moving in slow motion because everything else was moving so much faster. What kind of techniques do you do to do to help with peripheral expansion? So we do a lot of work on that with everyone, because again, I think we are also, you know, we're all focused on our phone. We're focused here. You know, we're very central focused. So we do a lot of work again with the synaptic sensory station, which is, a, it's just a large Android, but we do a lot of work on their peripheral awareness. Um, and that's a great one because it's self, self-training. They realize, oh, I missed, all, you know, okay, I'm missing all of these. Okay, I can't, I can't look, but they train themselves to kind of move out and be more peripherally aware. We do a lot of work with ball toss drills, you know, tossing again, different color balls, different size balls. 
We also use those fit light um, lights I mentioned that are LED lights. We mount them on poles. So we might have the athlete um, engaging in something straight ahead, maybe reading a heart chart or reading a paragraph of printed material. And there, there are lights on the side that they're having to respond to maybe based on the color, um, a pattern. So they're having to keep their eyes centrally because I'm watching them and they're having to do a task centrally, but they're also having to respond to their to the, something in the periphery. Unless they're able to, to kind of expand that, they're not gonna be able to do that. And I would imagine that's important with a cyclist. Absolutely, you wanna see those cars, you wanna see everything. You know, I think it's important for all of us, you know, walking down the street. <laughs> we are not good at knowing what's going on around us. You know, A, our heads are usually buried in our phones, but I think, you know, being a better driver. I had one of my first athletes I worked with was actually not an athlete at all. Um, we've had a number of, of just people say, I wanna just keep my brain sharp. And, you know, can you work with me even if I'm not an athlete? Absolutely, we all have brains. And so she just wanted to keep her, she was a very interesting woman. She was not an athlete. And she just said, I want to just learn techniques. I want to do something different. And, you know, her training was a little bit different, but she called me after her first session and she said, my driving was better. I said, well, yeah, you know, she said, I just felt like I was aware of the cars around me. I was looking two cars ahead of me and I just felt like I was a better driver. I said, absolutely. You know, we're, no matter what we're doing, it's important in our sports, but it's also important in our daily lives. So we're not going to hopefully get hit by a car when we're walking because we're paying attention more or we're, we're better drivers. A lot of the kids we've worked with, you know, a lot of the work we've done is sustained focus and concentration and schoolwork has been improved. And that for me is just it's all rewarding, you know, it's all great, but to have somebody not only be a better athlete, but a better student and enjoy school more and to hear that feedback from their teachers and parents, um, you're really touching lives. And I feel, you know, I feel like maybe they don't become a professional athlete, but if I've given them the gift of, of better education and, and enjoying school more, that, that to me is even more rewarding sometimes in the sports. I interviewed Dr. Larry Lampert not too long ago. Yeah. And uh, he talks about a lot about visual skills and how it relates to improvement in driving. It's huge. He also talks a lot about Fourier's. And if you if you if you could just explain what a Fourier Fourier is, and if you're EXO or ESO, and how could it affect you, maybe playing hockey or baseball or tennis, uh, how it might affect uh, whether you're pulling the ball too much or are swinging late. So Fourier's are kind of where our eyes line up, and that is something usually measured at a comprehensive exam or binocular vision assessment. So if an athlete is finding that they are too late or too early when they're swinging or in baseball, or if they're playing tennis and they feel like they're always, always consistently doing something, usually again, I will refer them out first to a binocular vision specialist to measure all of that and to make sure that they have the proper eye control. Um, we will use something called the Brock string, which is a, is a string with colored beads on it. It's very high tech, <laughs> but it's very powerful. And what we have the athlete do is they hold the string up to their nose and we ask them to look at a colored bead at a distance. And if their eyes are what we call in alignment that they're seeing where they're supposed to, the, the, when you do that, the string looks like it's crossing through the bead and it looks like it's making an X. And if they are in alignment, that string will cross at the bead. 
and we will, I don't ask the athletes, is it crossing at the bead? Because everyone wants to say yes. They want to give me the right information. Or I say, where, if you're looking at that red bead and you know, their eyes are crossed a little bit, where, where's, the, where's the string crossing? Where's the X? And they might say to me, okay, I see the bead, but the string is crossing way in front. Well, I know that their eyes are not as aligned as we'd like them to be. Or if they say, you know, Dr. Stewart, I see the X crossing behind the bead. To me, that's a sign that their eyes are not lined up where they need to be. So when they're going to look at a, you know, a ball coming towards them, they think they're fixating in one place or they think their eyes are looking in one place, but they're really looking in a different place. So that for me would be a referral out to a binocular vision specialist who would really work on fixing that and giving them tools and, and therapy to, to help either learn to, to move that out or bring that in. And then we would continue back on the sports vision. And with eye-hand coordination, do you use strobe glasses? And how does that help? So strobe glasses are really fun too. So if you Google, there's probably tons of videos. I feel like there's a Steph Curry strobe glasses video too. I might be wrong, but so strobe glasses are very cool. There are a pair of glasses that you put on and they flicker. So the lenses themselves go from light to dark. So you see everything and then they go dark and you don't see anything. Um, in the past, we used to do that with... Um, a, like a strobe, you know, strobe lights that we would make the whole room flicker. So what we're trying to do with these glasses is block vision in a good way. So when the glasses are flickering, they, you can make them flicker at different speeds. So when it's flickering very quickly, that's the easiest level because the information is basically there, the light's flickering very quickly. Um, but as you slow that down, the flicker gets slower. So the, the information, there's less information, less visual information for the athlete to see. So again, they have to rely on their decision-making, their visual cues to remember where everything is and then make a decision based on what they saw. Um, these are fun to use. We use these a lot when we're doing a demo for teams because it's very fun to, to take the two best baseball players and I say, who's the best here? Give me your two best athletes, you know, two kids will... I'll, you know, can't hold their hands up. I said, come on up here. I said, we're going to throw a tennis ball back and forth. You can do this, right? And they all look at me and go, well, yeah, of course, lady. That's why I'm here. So I have them throw a tennis ball back and forth and everyone's watching and waiting. And then I put the strobe glasses on them. And I usually don't make it really hard, but I put them on the lowest level and they start flickering and they toss the ball and maybe they miss and everyone laughs. But usually on the faster speeds, they just go, okay, I don't really see the difference. So then I'll slow it down and I have them toss. And inevitably somebody tosses it and the other kid's waiting and he never reacts because he is waiting based on information that he thought he'd be seeing, but that visual information is blocked. What's interesting is the better the athlete, how they, they learn very quickly and you know, they laugh and, and I say, okay, you know, let's keep going, keep tossing the ball back and forth. Inevitably with the better athletes, they respond very quickly and they go back to playing toss. And they've now made a decision, their brain and visual system have said, okay, we're not seeing all the information. I saw something, now I'm gonna anticipate where that ball is gonna end up and I'm gonna make that decision, even though I didn't see it. But I'm gonna make a decision based on what I did see. So we'll do that. And then when we take the glasses off, this goes back to your point about being in the zone, it's my favorite reaction because everyone has the same reaction. They, I have them keep tossing. They're like, oh my gosh, the tennis ball looks huge. Oh, my, it, I can see the fibers on the tennis ball. It's incredible. I didn't change the tennis ball. What happened now is their visual system is primed and they're kind of firing at a different level because they've 
had to anticipate all of this thing and make their cognitive system work a little harder. Now, when they take the strobes off, they're like, oh my gosh, this is easy, where it was the same skill they were doing before. So they're a lot of fun. We use them in training. We use them, a lot of our athletes use them to warm up before a game. It's a really great way for them to kind of be prepped and prepared because now they go out on the ice or they go out on the field and their visual system is ready. Something new that athletes are using the HICO sticks. Yeah, the, that's another great way to, to kind of train eye-hand coordination. They're sticks with different colors. Um, so not only is it training eye-hand coordination as you toss it, but you can have somebody make a motor response or a decision based on what you want them to do when they when they grab it. So what we use also is going back to baseball, um, something called uh, vision rings. They were, think of um, a hula hoop almost with wiffle balls, you know, kind of in the circle. And, um, you know, the easiest is one ball with a hoop and you toss it and tell somebody catch the ball part of it. Don't catch the hoop. And it sounds easy, but it's spinning and you have to quickly make a decision where that wiffle ball is and grab at that part and make the right movement. It gets harder as you can add different colors of balls throughout that ring. And now I toss it to you and I say, catch the red ball. So now you have to see where that red ball is in this hoop, make an anticipation and motor decision where it's going to be and try and, you know, hope you're right. And um, they're very similar, you know, in technique. They're, they've been around a long time. They're super fun. They look easy. Again, it's another thing people are like, oh, well, that's pretty easy. And they grab it and, you know, it, it's like, it, it's, it's dynamic visual acuity again, because you're tracking as it's coming towards you. You're having to make a decision, anticipate, and a saccade to decide where your hand's going to go. But um, they're another big baseball, um, a favorite in the baseball world because you can you know, make it as complex as you want. So again, it, to a baseball player, it's very similar to them making the decision of the pitch. You know, anything we can do to make them make that decision quicker and be uh, more precise in that movement is going to make them better when they step out on the field. Do you use bit lights? Fit lights? Yeah. Yep. So the fit lights we use, those, those wireless lights, they are infinitely fun and they are um, a great way to again eye-hand coordination so they can either be um, you can either hit them or you can wave your hand in front of them to turn off the light so at the kind of most basic level you can you know eye-hand coordination and, and tap them as quick as you can we make it super complex and we might say um, you know, like the old, like my kids just got Simon for Christmas. So we, we got my boys like the original Simon game, which if, if you don't know what Simon is, um, Simon starts out with four colors and you have to, you know, it flashes a color, you have to hit that color and then it'll do two colors and you have to do it in that order. And then three and then four. So we do that a lot with the fit lights that we will say, you know, you have to hit them in the order, red, green, blue, yellow. And, and either they have to do it as quick as they can. Um, we might do that with balance. So it's not only the eye-hand coordination of them hitting the lights, but it's again, the cognitive decision of seeing something and deciding what they need to do and then doing it. They use something called the NeuroTracker for hockey. Can you explain that? So NeuroTracker is another great tool that we use. Um, NeuroTracker is a computer program where if you picture, um, eight balls moving on a screen. And this is just one of the, the ways to use it. So we, we use a 3D TV, which does not exist anymore. Um, but um, there's a 3D technology they use to make it look like these balls are moving in space. So 
one way that we use it is there'll be eight balls on the screen and four will be identified and they'll say, you know, Jen, these are the four you need to track out of the eight and they will all be the same color and they're all gonna be different. They're all gonna be moving and they're moving in space. And they're moving in 3D. So again, it's something that sounds easy, but it is not. <laughs> and they get faster, the better you do. So it, it's quick sessions, but it really works on predictive movement. So athletes have to track, they have to be good at tracking four out of eight balls. So if you try and only track one, you've lost three. So you have to spread your attention to track eight, four out of the eight. You have to remember which ones you're tracking. And as they get faster, you have to anticipate where they're going and then remember which ones you are tracking and identify them. So it's a really fun way to work on a lot of skills in a short period of time. It's like a big video game. So it's a lot of fun to all of my athletes of all ages. And they don't realize how much it's working on all of the skills they need. Also, it's great for concentration. <clears throat> if you think about something else for a split second, you're done. And we watched that. And I had a, I had a hockey goalie who was, he was, I think, nine when I started working with him. He had the highest neurotracker scores out of everybody. And he just was unbelievable at such a young age. He was able to really track and, and kind of split his attention. And he came in one day and I was watching him and yeah, he'd miss, every time you miss, it gets slower. Every time you, you get them all right, it gets faster. And he was missing and missing and missing. So I paused it and I said, you know, I'll call him John. I said, John, that's, you know, really unlike you, you know, I said, is everything going okay? You know, it's like, you're usually, you know, cranking through this. And he said, oh, so I'm really worried about a test next week. And I said, no, I understand. I know it's, you know, it's tough. And I, and he's a, he was a great student. And I said, but when you're here, is that helping you with the skills you're working on? Is worrying about that test next week doing a good job in here? And he said, no. And I said, what if you were out on the ice tomorrow in a big game to your championship and you started thinking about your test next week? What do you think is going to happen? Do you think your focus and attention is going to be on that game or is it going to be on, on the, the test next week? And he said, you know, it's going to be, you know, I said, the minute you think of something else and your focus is away, that's when that puck goes in and you've missed that goal. I said, when you're here and when you're on the ice, your focus has to be on the game and we have to really work on that and it we're none of us are good at it you know we're all thinking about tomorrow and next week and yesterday and all the things we need to do and I said but when you get on that ice you need to be in the moment and that's when you're going to be most successful so for me NeuroTracker that was kind of one of the best things we've worked on with it which is not something you know, we anticipated but it really trained athletes that they can't worry about other things and they have to be only worrying about what they're doing. And we made it difficult. You know, we would start with it, it quiet. You know, the first sessions, the door shut, it's completely quiet. Then I'd leave the door open and there's music playing in the hallway. And now I would walk around and do other things. Maybe I'm moving stuff around, trying to distract them. Um, then I start, you know, talking, you know, how's it going? How's school going? How's your test? How's your hockey season going? So now they have to try and figure out a way to deal with me and keep their, their, their mind on the task. And if they can do that, and then maybe we're tossing balls at them, they have to catch. Maybe they're standing on a BOSU ball. Maybe they're dribbling a basketball. So we overload them again. Then I say, if you can focus on all of this in here, when you step out there, it's going to be much easier. So that brings us to visual snow syndrome. If you could explain what that is. 
So visual snow is a, is a tough one. It's kind of a, a static that people see in their, in their visual system. So that's not one I really work with a lot. Um, you know, I'm that, I usually have some great people I refer out for that one as well if I do have somebody that has uh, visual snow. And uh, we talked about a little bit about contrast sensitivity before. And so what are some of the things that you do to increase the contrast sensitivity? So again, it's really being aware and teaching athletes to be aware of what they're, they're dealing with. But um, overall, working on skills in varying light conditions and varying um, contrast to get them to make better decisions in those moments so that they don't get um, surprised, you know, and really getting them to be aware of different light conditions, but making it more difficult in the training. So just like we check vision, you know, everyone in the eye chart, you know, we're checking a vision with black layers on a white background. Again, I tell patients, unless you're me, that's not the day-to-day -day work you're doing. <clears throat> Our work is not high contrast, you know, black letters on a white background. So same with the athletes, you know, we, you know, sports have very different conditions. So we will try and mimic that as much as we can to do the training in those conditions so that when they're in those conditions, they're, they've been dealing with that a lot. And they've been doing this training in maybe in dimmer light, um, maybe in brighter light. And then we, but we might use a white ball and have them doing drills uh, against a white background to make it a little more difficult. How does polarized lenses help when certain, with certain sports being outside, whether you're skiing or maybe playing tennis? When, do you, when would you recommend, re recommend polarized uh, glass? So polarized lenses cut out glare and they cut out glare um, depending on lighting conditions. So it's a, and polarization is a very, um, everyone's a little different with depending on the sport they prefer. So it, with fishermen or anyone who spends time on the water, polarization is key because it's going to cut the glare on, on the water when they're looking down. So if you ever see a picture of um, water and you can see right down, you can see the fish underneath, they probably use a polarizing lens filter so that you can get rid of the glare on, on the surface. For sports, it really helps with enhancing contrast and helping an athlete see better at different contrast levels. Um, it depends. So as, as a cyclist, I usually... Some cyclists like polarized lenses. I prefer non-polarized because I like seeing I like seeing everything, and I like seeing um, in the different light conditions. I like seeing different textures of the road to keep myself safe. Um, a lot of athletes who are you know, tennis is a great one because it cuts down glare. Golfers sometimes wear polar polarized lenses. Um, anyone in a water sport. But does it affect like the green where you can't see the? It could, you know, and that's where everyone's got different preference. So. Some people like it, some people find it doesn't give them the true read of the green for sure. And there's lots of different tints and, and that can be used at different light conditions as well. And I wanna finish with eye injuries. You know, there's about 600,000 serious eye injuries from sports and most kids don't wear eye protection. Uh, why is that and what can we do to prevent eye injuries and what kind of protection should kids wear? Oh, my other near and dear to my heart, woman and crusade. <laughs> so, so eye injuries in sports are real. They tend to be preventable. So I'll ask, and, and I don't know if you know the answer, but what's the number one sport for eye injuries? Well, it, it depends on what you read, but it's either baseball or basketball. So usually it's basketball. And there's like, a, I did a lecture um, last week and I used a horrible picture of like, 
fingers going in the eye in a basketball game. Um, but basketball and then water sports tend to be second. So, um, and most of these are preventable injuries in that they could be prevented if somebody was wearing proper eye protection. So just like we are passionate about making sure people are seeing well, I also want people to know that they should be wearing proper sports eyewear for the sport they're, they're participating in. And I think the disconnect is, again, we don't think we need it because we don't think we need the correction or it's just not something we've really made essential. Um, you know, we don't go to play football without a helmet. Um, we're not playing. I played field hockey. I didn't step onto that field without my mouth guard and my shin guards. Um, but you can get fake teeth. You can't get fake eyes. So, you know, we're not really, we're protecting, um, but we're not looking at the eyes. And I think hopefully you'll see a change. Um, I'm really working hard to bring awareness to everyone, the public and professionals about the importance of proper eye protection. When I talk about it to patients, especially my young ones, I love to say, do you play soccer in your flip-flops? And they laugh, you know, they laugh at me. And I said, well, do you play baseball in a dress or softball in a dress? And they, they, they laugh. And I said, you know, but why are we wearing our glasses to play a sport? You know, there it's the same. When you step out on a field, we're putting our cleats on, we're putting our shin guards, we're putting our helmet on, but we're either wearing nothing on our face or we're wearing what we call dress glasses. So we tend to refer to our everyday pair of glasses as our dress glasses. And I feel they have no place on a, any kind of sporting field, rink, um, uh, court, because they're not made for sports. The frame is not made to withstand any impact um, and the lenses should be impact resistant, but they're not providing the proper protection. So I think everyone should be wearing proper safety eyewear and it's important to make sure there are different standards for different sports. Um, there's a governing body that sets those standards. So making sure they're appropriate for the sport and that they're independently tested to make sure that they are actually providing the protection they, they say they are. So um, hopefully you'll see me out there more talking about it. It's something I really feel passionately about and um, spend a lot of time talking with my patients about the importance of, of safety. And the glasses are much better than they used to be. So <laughs> everyone has this visual memory of, you know, middle school gym and some horrible big goggle looking glasses, but they now look like sunglasses. They look fun. They're colorful. You know, there's some lines that are camo. I mean, they look very fun and cool. And a lot of my, my young athletes tend to wear those as their primary pair, which is super fun for me. So I'm hoping I get the word out more about that. We typically don't like to mention brands, but in this case, if you could mention some brands for sport, because it's that important to protect yeah. the kids' eyes. So my favorite is Xyloware, which is Shaq eye gear. So Shaq um, is really passionate about youth and protection and safety. And it's a brand new line um, that came out last year, of course, right in the middle of COVID. But it's a really cool line of sports safety eyewear that is fun. It's like I said, it's colorful. You know, Shaq is a fun, colorful guy. <laughs> he's a, he's just like this happy-go-lucky, you know, very big personality. And the Shaq eye gear matches that. There's great colors. Um, there's great patterns that are going to be out. You know, it's just a very fun look. And they don't look like the sports vision goggle glasses that everyone's kind of picturing in their head. They're very cool and, um, you know, they're, they're very colorful and very fun. So that's my personal favorite. I think it really makes, um, makes I, I, I say to parents, it has to be, the kids have to want to wear them and the adults have to want to wear them. It goes for adults as well. 
um, but you have to make it fun and make it look cool. And, uh, you know, athleisure is in, we all are wearing sports gear all the time. So why not make that our eyewear as well? So is the Shaq seven foot two? He's massive. I met him last year at Vision Expo. I've never seen a larger human in my life. He oh, it's, this... it's Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal? Shaquille O'Neal, yeah. Oh, that's so, his, it's, it's his, it's his line? It's, okay. it's his line, yeah. So I met him last year at Vision Expo and I am not a small person. I'm 5'10". And I, I felt very short that day. His hands are massive, but he's extremely passionate about kids and, and safety and protection. So that really shows in his line as well. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. So is there anything else that I didn't mention that you'd like to mention before we uh, close? Oh, I think we, I mean, this was a very comprehensive, uh, <laughs> comprehensive look. And, you know, I think my, my words of wisdom would be that we often think of sports and performance vision for professionals. And with my goal with starting my sports vision practice, Performance 2020, was I wanted to bring the tools that were available to professionals, to athletes of all ages and abilities. And anyone who moves their body to me is an athlete. And, you know, I'll have patients say, oh, well, I don't need to do any of that because, I, you know, I'm not competitive. I just play for fun. If you're moving your body, you're an athlete. And we, you know, whether it's protection on the safety side or it's enhancement, you know, everyone out there, if you are participating in a sport, think of yourself as an athlete. And, you know, this, the tools and technology that are available are so great to enhancing sports and performance at every level and the added benefits in school and confidence. I mean, we, we had a, an athlete who just his confidence skyrocketed. So again, it's these intangible benefits of the training that are so important and the life skills that they're, that they're, that they're making, um, it goes beyond sports to me. So I'm super passionate about it. You know, if you check out the International Sports Vision Association um, website, if you're looking for a practitioner in your area, and we'd all welcome working with every one of you. Uh, Dr. Stewart, I really want to thank you for joining me today. If people want to find out more about you, how can they do it? So my website is www.perform2020.com. Um, so you can, you know, if there's a, we, I think, I think we have a great video. So um, we put together a video talking about sports and performance vision and kind of showcasing some of the training we did because Again, it's hard to, to picture a lot of this. People are listening going, you know, I just don't see, you know, I can't picture it in my head. So we worked really hard to put together a video to explain what it is and what we do and how we work with athletes. And we showcase some of the athletes we are working with. And it, I think it'll help people understand, oh yeah, that's what she means. And that's the skills. And you'll see it from a couple of different perspectives. So I welcome you to reach out to us on Performance 2020. Um, we have a remote training program set up as well on the website. So we're working with athletes all over the country. Um, just some really great technology and tools that are out there. And, and the future it only gets brighter in, in this field as well. Well, Dr. Stewart, I want to thank you for joining me today. This is Dr. Kerry Gell for Open Your Eyes. And I wish everybody great health. Thank you. <laughs>
Since I bought Safe for You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe for You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe for You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe for You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe for You is because it's safe for me and you.